Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, honey, you're, you're looking really beautiful, honey. I'm so blessed. I've to be married to Kate for almost 28 years has been the privilege of my lifetime. Let me have a let me have that hard hat. I can wear this because I built a house last week. I bet I look handsome, don't I? You know. Andrew, wait a minute. I can't get this thing on my head. Oh, well. Andrew, take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's hilarious. Here you go, Nat. Ah, oh, God is good, isn't he? He's so good. You know, um, I put that on just then because... Uh, I'd love to go to the women's conference next weekend, um, deeper. And uh, there's already 150 people registered, women registered. So this is going to be amazing. And uh, I couldn't make it 151 because I can't go. But anyway, um, I went to a women's conference last year, actually. The first women's conference I've ever been invited to speak at as a guest speaker. Wow, was that ever crazy. It was extraordinary. And um, while I was in the worship, and all these women in Virginia Beach were just, just going for it, just so radical, so on fire, so deeply in love with Jesus, I just sensed in my, in my heart, it was as though the Lord was saying to me, you know, you know why, um, why Jesus chose 12 men as his disciples? And I'm looking around, I'm like, yeah, that's true. Lord, you chose 12 men. There wasn't a single woman. You didn't choose a single woman. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, because if he'd just chosen one, it would have been so intimidating for all the other 11, they would have quit. They'd have never <laughs> kept going. Shakaraba. I want to continue our series on the return of the king, the return of Jesus and I want to talk this morning particularly about the stewardship of our treasure. The title of my message is The Stewardship of Our Treasure. And the Bible's very clear in Luke 12, 34. And I love it. It's like the one, two, three, four. Luke 12, 34. Say that with me. Luke 12, 34. One, two, three, four. You're not saying it with me. Come on. Wake up. Luke 12, 34. One, two, three, four. For where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. And we must be careful. Number one, we must be careful of what our treasure is. And number two, we must steward that treasure well because our heart will be bonded to that treasure. Where our heart goes, where our treasure is, our heart is. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anything else to be my treasure except Jesus. May you always be first in our lives, Jesus. May you always be our treasure. 
I don't want anything in this world, not even life itself, to be a greater treasure in my heart than Jesus. Mmm. Shikabanga. You know, the Bible tells us that a man came to Jesus, a young rich ruler, or a rich young ruler, and he said, Jesus, Master, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gave him a few things. You've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do, oh, I've done all of that. And he came and he said, but there's this one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And I love Mark's version. He says that the Lord looked at him and loved him. Before he said that, he said the Lord looked at him and loved him. And then it says that the man went away sad because he had great riches. And he clearly wasn't prepared to let go of them and follow Jesus. And all my life I've read that and thought that clearly God just, you know, he wants us to just give everything up and just completely follow Jesus. And that's the scripture to back that up. And whilst it's true that God wants us to give everything up and follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that God is not happy with us having riches. Jesus was giving an answer, and I'm going to use this revelation that somebody gave me, and I'm going to put it in my own words. But it's as though Jesus gave him an answer in keeping with the stupidity of his question. You see, of all the people in Israel that should have known better than anybody else that you don't need to do anything to inherit something, it should have been that rich young ruler. Because the fact that he was a rich young ruler demonstrates that his riches didn't come from his own endeavors. He was a rich young ruler because his father or somebody in his life had given him an inheritance. And he didn't do anything for that inheritance. He did a diddly squat to earn that inheritance. Why? Because an inheritance is given to you not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. And he asked, what must I do for eternal life? And the answer is, you don't do anything. You receive the free gift of life. Jesus Christ himself, the gift of the Father. You don't do anything to earn that gift. You receive him by faith. He's yours. Eternal life is yours, not because of what you do, not because you read your Bible, not because you pray, not because you give to the poor, not because you fast, not because you sacrifice. You don't have to do anything to inherit eternal life. It's a gift. The greatest treasure in the universe and outside of the universe, his name is Jesus, is a gift to you. All you have to do is receive that gift by faith and you've received everything. You don't do to be, you be and therefore you do. You don't pray to make God pleased with you. You don't read your Bible to make God pleased with you. God's pleased with you. So you pray and you read your Bible because his affection is upon you. See the difference? It's a massive difference. If you go to church to please God, it's called churchianity. And anyway, we don't go to church. We are the church. We're not even going to heaven per se. We're already there. 
Heaven's coming to us. We're already in the heavens. And our mission is to go to the world. And what a mission we had in the Dominican Republic. It was amazing. Kate and I, we just, you know, we didn't, we said, we're not the leaders. We're other people can be the leaders. Erica did an outstanding job of the, being the leader of the whole team. She was amazing. She divided the two, the whole group of 18 of us into two teams. And uh, Kate and I were part of each of those teams. So we didn't see each other for much of the week. But we, we worked. I mean, we were mixing concrete. <clears throat> Kalon went off like a rocket. I had to calm her down. She just was just like a rocket. She just worked so hard, it was amazing. But you know, our sweat was in that mortar, everybody. I said to the owner of the house, who was just a complete heap of tears when uh, she was given, to the, given the house, I said to her, right after I led her to Jesus, I said to her, you know what? Our, my, my sweat and our team's sweat is in your mortar right here. See these bricks and mortar right here? My sweat is in that. I was so joyful. I've never built a house before. Thank God there were professionals there as well building it. But <laughs> I did my part, you know, lifting up endless buckets of, they call it Mecla over there. The mortar is called Mecla. And uh, if ever there was something ringing in my ears when I went to bed at night, it was Mecla, Mecla, Mecla. Yeah, okay, we're coming. <laughs> you know, and uh, I told her, I said, you know, my sweat, our sweat is in your mortar and the Holy Spirit is in our sweat. It's anointed sweat. The presence of God is always in your home. Woo, it was so good. It was amazing. Shakaraba. Uh, when Abraham... In, 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 in uh, Genesis 15, it, it says that God came to Abraham. Hi, I'm Almighty God. You know, kind of, sort of, like, like he does, you know. Hi, how are you? I'm Almighty God. Nice to meet you. And uh, he said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your exceedingly great treasure. Don't be afraid. I am your reward. And Abraham said to him, but Lord, what are you going to give me seeing as I don't have a son? God was trying to say to Abraham, I'm going to give you me forever. I've given you me forever. You don't need anything else. But we're so programmed like, like Abraham was at that point in his life. He was different by the end of his life. But we're so programmed to think, okay, God, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're my treasure. Yeah, but what are you going to give me? When are you going to heal me? When, when are you going to bless my bank account? When are you going to give me a new house? When are you going to give me a better car? When are you going to give me a better job? Yeah, 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 you're my treasure. Yeah, 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 right. But when are you going to give me something? When are you going to give me more? And you know something? God's so big, he doesn't mind ever giving us more. But he's really looking for lovers who love him for who he is and not his stuff. And I don't know about you, but I want God to fill me with love that is, that is pure, pure love for Jesus. And yes, even my salvation that he's worked for me, which is the greatest, most incredible gift I could ever be given, eternal life with him. Even that would still 
pale into insignificance in my heart compared to having him and being found in him forever. That relationship, that it wouldn't be that I get to go to heaven forever, that gives me the greatest joy, although that will give me joy, but that it would be that I get to be with him, the king of heaven, for eternity. And so, as I was waiting on the Lord for what he wanted me to preach on this morning, I felt the Lord saying to me, I want you to preach the message that you've preached a number of times in the church family over the 11 years of our church's existence. I usually preach it about once a year. And it's a, it's a message that I believe is profoundly important because Jesus is coming back. And what we do with our treasure and what our treasure is has a profound effect on our desire and our mentality for Jesus' return. If Jesus is our true treasure, then we cannot wait for him to come back. If the world is our treasure, we don't ever think about him coming back. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a worldly mentality in my heart. I want a heart that's pure and devoted, undefiled, pure devotion to the Lord. Come on, just take a moment, put your hand on your heart if, that, if you want to join me. If you don't, that's fine, that's, that's between you and the Lord. But if you want to join me, I just read um, today in Deuteronomy, I forget if it was 29 or 30, my Bible reading today was Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Right now, as we're reading the Bible through from cover to cover, and I've done that for 30 years. And I suggest that you do that so that you put within yourself a rich treasure of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But let's take a moment. What I read was this. The Lord said to Israel, I will give you a circumcised heart to love me with all your heart. I don't know about you, but I need God to do that for me. God, I ask you right now that for me, for my wife, for my children, for our church family that's your church family, Lord, I ask you with all my heart that you would give each one of us completely circumcised hearts to love you with outrageous love. That the first thing that we do with the love you've lavished upon us and called us children of God is that we love you with your love that we love you with an undefiled, pure love, and that we always, always, always love you more than anything that we could ever have in this world, that you would give us that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one thing that I've already begun to discover as a 51-year-old grandfather is that we are just passing through in this world. We're just passing through. And what we do with our treasure is very, very important. The Bible speaks 2,350 times about money. 2,350 times speaks about what we do with our money. Why? Because it's a competing treasure to God. I want to talk about four keys for stewarding our treasure well and making sure that Jesus is always better than any money. Four keys. You know, it's crazy how hard it is sometimes to let go of money. 
Have you discovered that? Just yesterday, I was in uh, um, Delaware, the first state, and God moved so powerfully in this conference that I was in. And it was amazing, the power of God, the Holy Spirit was upon us and upon me so powerfully that as I was ministering at the end and people were coming up for prayer, some people couldn't even come within three feet before the Holy Spirit whacked them so hard and sent them flying. They just couldn't even come close to the glory of God. Not me, Jesus in me. And, um, and, and it was one of the most profound moments that I've had in ministry. It was very, very exciting and very humbling for the Lord to be so thick and so present. And yet there I was, the very next day, which was yesterday, so that was Friday night, yesterday, I'm in the car, we're driving to the airport, and the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to share some of the proceeds of the sales of your book. I've written a book called Consumed by Love, and I had sold, I took a box with me, um, which is how many copies? 40, 39 copies. And I sold all 39, the whole, all 39 copies were sold. And the people just ate the book up. And there I have this wadge of cash that the, the, the lady who kindly had done the book table for, for me, she just thrust it into my pocket as I was leaving. She said, I'm sorry, um, you don't have any books left. So I took my little empty suitcase with me and I've got this bundle of cash in my pocket. And I'm like, whoa, that feels good. Wow, I like that cash in my pocket. It's not often you have cash, is it, these days? You know, most things are on a debit card, credit card. Wow, I suddenly became incredibly attached to that wadge of money in my pocket. And I'm sitting in the car on the way to the airport, and the Holy Spirit says to me, I want you to give such and such amount to the person who's driving you to bless him. And I'm like, no. Mine. It was like those, those Sydney pelicans. Mine, mine, mine. I don't know why. Suddenly, there I am, finding it difficult to part with just a tiny fraction of what God's given us. It's so weird, isn't it? How money is just so alluring. And I thank God for muscle memory. Muscle memory. You know, whatever you put your muscles to, I used to be a full-time oarsman. Yeah, full-time. I used to row in a rowing boat, felt like full-time, a university. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, I can get on a rowing machine, and after about three days of rowing, I just look ripped again. Why are you laughing, darling? Well, I feel good about it. And, uh, and so there's something about muscle memory. It's like, a, you know, I get on my motorcycle if I haven't ridden it for a while. I just instantly can do it because it's just the way it is. Muscle memory. Well, guess what? You have a spiritual muscles and you can gain spiritual muscular memory. And one of those spiritual muscular memories is the word of God. And, uh, and also generosity. You can gain generosity in your muscles. And in a situation like that where you just don't want to give, 
suddenly now the practiced muscle memory of generosity allows you to overcome your reluctance to let go of something that you treasure. Do you know that you're not generous if what you let go of you don't treasure? You're generous when what you treasure is what you let go of. And so here I am in this car. I had another moment like that. Was um, Speaking of muscle memory, was while I was in Dominican Republic. And I don't know whether it was because the resort we were staying in, there was all these people that were scantily dressed. I mean, some of them looked like they were wearing not more than a loincloth. And little string this and that all over their bodies. I don't know what it was, but on one of those days, I was just overwhelmed with all this temptation thoughts of, of lust and, and, and just, you know, just yucky thoughts that did not belong to me, but I was bombarded with temptation and bombarded in my thoughts. And I thank God for muscle memory, because in that moment, I just was having a quiet time and I just said, God, I'm just overwhelmed, Lord, just I'm so sorry for all these lustful thoughts, just remove them from my mind. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Duncan, just like my son, use the word of God in the face of temptation. And just as quick as a flash that he said that, suddenly, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be cleaved or united or in union with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Devil, I'm one flesh with my wife. Back off, spirit of lust. And <laughs> instantly, all of those thoughts gone in a moment. It wasn't me trying to resist. It was the word of God that bubbled up on the inside because the word of God is infinitely stronger than your personality. So in that moment as I'm sitting there, the word of God just bubbled up and, and I remembered it's better to give. And I just, there you are. And he said, oh, go on, pastor, go on. Thank you very much. <laughs> he was happy to receive. You know, in, in Luke 16, Jesus reveals to us that there is a system in the kingdom with regards to finances. And one of the things that we can do that will always keep Jesus first in our lives is to understand the system and to walk in obedience to the system and be generous. In Luke 16, Jesus talks about this in the parable of the unrighteous steward or unrighteous manager, he tells this crazy parable that just has never made sense to me until a very wealthy man with three airplanes opened my eyes to it. And in this parable, he talks about an unrighteous steward who when he finds out that he's about to be fired by the master, he goes and he says to all of his master's debtors, how much do you owe my master? And he cancels out what they owe and puts half instead. And then he comes back and the master finds out and the master commends the unrighteous steward for what he's done, for stewarding wisely. And you sit there going, Jesus, have you not lost your nut here? Like, are you commending unrighteousness? That just doesn't feel right. But you see, the Holy Spirit opened this man's eyes, who opened my eyes, 
Jesus was not commending the unrighteous steward for his unrighteous stewardship. He was commending the unrighteous steward for understanding that the world has a system and utilizing the system to his advantage. And therefore, if that's true of the world system, how much more is it true of the of the children of light, if we understand that there's a heavenly system in the kingdom, if we understand that kingdom and we understand that system and we apply that system to our lives, will we prosper? So I want to tell you four elements of this system today that will help you as you live out your life in the consciousness of Christ's return. Number one is returning. Say that with me, returning. Number two is sowing. Say that with me, sowing. Number three, notice it's number three, is giving. Say giving. And number four, lending. Number one, returning. What's that all about? Well, in case you hadn't worked out yet, everything belongs to God. The ground you walk on, the air that you breathe, the sky that's above your head, the money in your bank account, the gold, the silver, God says, it's all mine. Everything belongs to God. All the animals, all the plants, all of life itself, the entire universe, it all belongs to God. And God wants to bless you. But if he sees that you think that everything belongs to you, it's hard for him to bless you in a world that belongs to him. But if you understand that everything belongs to him, now he can bless you in the midst of what belongs to him so that he can make you a good steward of what belongs to him, not you. And the way God has created the universe, he's put an opportunity in the universe for us to demonstrate to him that we understand that everything belongs to him and not us. It's called the returning of the tithe. And the returning of the tithe is not just an Old Testament principle, it's also a New Testament principle. Just like the cross of Christ is not just a New Testament principle. The cross of Christ is throughout Genesis all the way to Malachi, even though the fulfillment of it is in the New Covenant. But I hear people say to me, oh, the tithing, that's an Old Testament thing. Well, guess what? So is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Tithing is a joy to be discovered. It's like the law of gravity. Gravity happens whether you want it to or not. Tithing happens and is a dynamic whether you understand it or not. And if you understand it and you enter into it and you begin to return to God what belongs to God, you will be outrageously blessed. The blessing of the Lord will be upon your life. Your health will be blessed. Your relationships will be blessed. Your finances will be blessed. You'll be blessed with your time. You name it. The blessing of God will settle upon you because you are returning back to God what belongs to God. It's as though the Lord's looking and saying, hey, I know that everything belongs to me, but does Duncan Smith know that? Oh, He's discovered the joy of the tithe. He's returning the one-tenth. And by the way, the return of the tenth, it didn't even come with Moses 
although he was a tither. It didn't even start with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although all three of them were tithers and therefore they were blessed. It actually started with Abel. Abel was the very first person to discover the joy of tithing. And he returned to the Lord the first fruits. Cain was the one who came up with the idea to give God something. He, if you read the story in Genesis 4, you'll see that Cain came up with the idea first of giving to God. But here's the deal. God was not blessed by Cain's offering. God received Abel's offering. Why? Because Abel returned to God the first fruits of what belonged to God. In other words, Abel understood everything is God's, even my salvation. There's nothing I can ever do that will make God pleased with me on account of my doing. God is already pleased with me, and I'm going to joyfully give back to him what belongs to him. Not to earn his love, not to find my way into his heart by me doing something which makes me the justifier and makes me the most amazing, awesome, generous person. Look at me. I'm Cain. I'm going to give. I'm, I'm a giver. You better love me, God. How do we know that that was his heart? Because when God didn't receive his gift, he sulked and pouted and was angry about it. If his motive had been right, he wouldn't have been like that. So he betrayed that in reality, Cain was the first religious person. Cain tried to do something for God that would make God like him and would justify himself before God. Abel, on the other hand, simply returned to God what belongs to God and trusted God for his whole life. The first thing is the tithe. I want you to imagine for a moment, okay, that the tithe is like you having a big greenhouse, God creating a big greenhouse for your life. And within that greenhouse, you're able to completely control the environment so perfectly for the maximum yield of growth in that greenhouse. Perfect sunshine, perfect temperature, perfect hydroponics of water, perfect nutrients, best soil, everything's there, protected from all kinds of pests and so on. Everything is perfect for growth. That's what the tithe does. When you return the tithe, that's what your life looks like. But here's the deal. A lot of Christians will say to me, well, I'm a tither and I don't feel that I'm blessed. Well, here's, here's the thing, everybody. You've got to put something in the soil of the seedbed within the greenhouse. And that's where the next thing comes in. The next key is sowing. You must sow seed if you wish to have a harvest. I come from a farming family. Every fall and spring, my family sows seed. And then in the summer, they have a harvest a hundred times what they sowed. If they didn't sow, there would be no harvest. They know that, so they sow. There are many of us as Christians, we're looking to be blessed, wondering why we're not blessed, but we fail to sow. There are many tithers who still don't sow. We need to remember, it's a system, everybody. It works together. And when you sow into a perfect greenhouse, because you're a tither, when you sow, God promises that you will receive a hundredfold 
Very simply, how does it work? Sow a seed in keeping with the harvest you desire. If you put wheat in the ground, you don't expect a mango to come up. Right? You put wheat in the ground, you expect wheat. If you put sweet potatoes in the ground, you expect what? Sweet potatoes. You're not looking for apples. You're going to get sweet potatoes. So how does this work in practice? Let's say you'd like a new car. The world would say, hey, take whatever you can out of what you can afford and go down to the car dealership and get yourself a new car. And you know what? You can do that. How about this, though? Hey, my new car, I'm going to calculate. I reckon I want to spend about $50,000. That's what I would like, a car worth about $50,000. Reverse calculate what is a seed that will bring about a 100-fold harvest and equal 50,000? The answer is 500. A seed is so much smaller than the harvest, everybody. And by the way, it's not your money that's the real seed. It's your faith that you put and encapsulate the seed in, that God will return a harvest to you. So you find somebody that needs a car and you say to them, hey, I heard you need a car. I would like to either give my car that's worth $500 or I would like to give a check to you or some cash to you. Here's $500. Boom. Take it. If you don't have $500, why don't you start with $5, which is one one-hundredth of 500 Start with that. Sow a seed of five. Put a demand on God because God will never let you out-generous him, everybody. Put your five in so that you can gain back a harvest of 500 and then be careful to put the 500 in. Then you'll get the harvest of the 50,000. It's not me who worked that out. It's God. Okay. That's sowing. Giving is what you do with no desire whatsoever to have any return. Giving's what you do out of the purity of your heart to be a blessing just like God is, to be generous just like God. And you give to the widows, you give to the orphans, you give to the poor. Proverbs 19:17 says, "He who gives to the poor or she who gives to the poor, Lends to the Lord and he will repay him. Do you know that when you give and you don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, did you know that you're actually causing God to borrow from you? And he promises to pay you back. He doesn't like having a lot of debt. <laughs> Finally, I've got a, a, a number of scriptures, but time doesn't allow for me to... to, to um, List them all out, but Malachi 3.10 is the famous one regarding tithing. And the storehouse, by the way, I believe this is not biblical. This is biblical-esque. Okay? I believe the tithing storehouse is our local church. Kate and I, we like to come out. I check every year with our team. How was my giving? My tithing, my sowing, my giving, how was it? Did I come out at the top? Was I number one this year in the church? No, I'm ever so sorry you weren't. You were number 10. No! Father, next year, please, let me be the number one. I want to give the most in the church. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I want to live this and not just preach it. And more importantly than that, I want to live with Jesus as far more treasure to me than money. 
The storehouse, I believe, is your local church that you return your tithe to. Why? Because that's where you give and that's where you receive not just money, but everything, your ministry, you name it. But it's up to you. Don't, we don't make a law out of this. It's biblical-esque, not biblical in that sense, okay? So, um, now, number four, and lastly, is lending. Psalm 112, verse 5, says this. Psalm 112, verse 5. Well, let's just read from verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in their house and their righteousness will endure forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the midst of darkness. He is gracious. The one, this person who fears the Lord is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man or woman, verse 5, lends, sorry, a good man or woman deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. Psalm 15, verse 5 says, the one who lends without usury, that means without interest. When you lend without interest, says they will never, ever be moved. They'll never be shaken. How many of you would like a life in which you're never, ever shaken? Yeah, me too. That's just about 10 hands that went up. The rest of you, good, all the best with your shaking. <laughs> How many of you would like a life where you're never shaken? Yes. Let's stand, everybody. Lord, we want a life where we're not shaken. Lord, I ask you that you would teach us as a people, Lord, how to be faithful in stewarding. Number one, that you would be our first treasure in our hearts. And that number two, God, the things that this world considers treasure, money, possessions, time. Lord, I ask you that you would enable us to be faithful and be generous on every occasion. Lord, give us muscle memory that would allow us to be generous. Folks, a, man, a friend of Kate and I's came to Kate and I a few years ago and he said, if I don't, he shared with me in confidence, he said, if I don't, I'm not able to pay by the end of this week a certain amount of money to the tax man, I'm going to have to go to jail. Well, he's one of my close friends, so I'm like, my instant thought was, consider it done. Kate and I can afford to give you that amount. We're going to give it to you. I jumped up. I kept, I have, I've learned enough to keep your mouth shut in a moment like that now without first checking with Kate. I jumped up. I ran inside the house. And Kate and I have a rule in our household. We're not allowed to spend or give more than $100 without getting agreement between each other. Okay, that's our, that's our married life. And by the way, it's important not to be sneaky with that. Su surprising how tempting it is to be sneaky. Don't be sneaky 
on your husband or your wife. Don't spend their treasure without their agreement. Anyway, and don't give it away either. So I went in, I said to Kate, honey, this is the situation. She said, darling, I don't feel it's right to give. I feel that we should lend. Now that was before the Lord had showed me these verses. I'm like, no, that's so ungenerous. I can't believe you just said that. No way. He's our friend. How can we do that to him? She said, no, I really feel like in the Lord that we're to lend it to him. The moment he said that, she said that to me. The Holy Spirit said, she's right. And we figured out the terms very quickly. And I went back and I said to my friend, listen, this is the terms. We're going to lend you the money and we would like you to repay us. And the way you can repay us is that you're skilled in so many areas. We're going to pay you X amount. I think it was $20 an hour for every hour that you do with your skills. And we're just going to take that off until eventually there's nothing left that you owe us. He's like, oh, thank you with all my heart. And I watched his esteem just grow. And all of a sudden, he wasn't a needy person. He was a righteous steward, a man of honor that had been honored. And do you know something? He took that opportunity and he gave back to Kate and I everything over the next couple of years that we had lent him. We didn't charge any interest. He returned it all. And let me tell you something, everybody. God doesn't want you to have interest and God doesn't want you to hold them to it. You don't tell them that up front, but if for whatever reason they default on payment, you let it go. You know why? Because you know your big heavenly daddy, he sees and he'll give it back to you a hundredfold. And you know, our friendship with that person went deeper than ever because we esteemed them and because we lent without interest and we honored them and we gave them the opportunity to learn how to steward their time and their money in a better way. Reach up your hands if you want to, to the Lord this morning and just begin to tell him, Lord, you are my number one treasure. Lord, I treasure you more than anything else. If you're watching online, just just right where you are, just lift up your hands to the Lord and just say, Lord, I treasure you above all else. Lord, would you give me a heart to treasure you and to love you? Lord, I ask you for an undivided heart. Lord, I ask you for a single-hearted devotion to you, God, that I would never, ever love the world more than you, God, that I would never, ever have possessions or money or any riches in this world in my heart more than you Jesus that you'd always be first in my life that you're my eternal reward that you're better than all the stuff you can ever give me you're better than every answered prayer you are my number one in my life and if that's you and that's the cry of your heart this morning and you just like to show the Lord in a special way and I believe that God's going to break something in our lives. I just want to invite you up to the front just to, just to come and say as a line in the sand, Jesus, you're my eternal treasure. Find me faithful when you return. Find me loving you when you return. Don't find me distracted. Don't find me with weeds all around stifling the growth, God. Just give me an undivided heart a burning heart for you 
that will love you all my days, Lord. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I have much, whether I have little, Lord, I'm always rich in you because you are my contentment. You're my godliness. You are my great gain. You're my everything, Jesus. You mean more to me than anything else that this world could ever, ever offer me. Just tell him yourself in your own words.